Welcome, everyone, to a special bonus shortened oddball episode of the George Sanders show. Uh, people that have been following along know that we uh, are in the middle of the Seattle International Film Festival, uh, and we planned on having kind of our recap show this week, um, where we kind of go through all of the films we've seen. I think combined right now, as of now, there's another 10 days left of the festival. Um, but I think you and I have seen maybe 30 films combined, something like that. I've seen uh, 22. And I've seen 10. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, but and anyway, circumstances beyond our control kind of changed our plans. We were going to have a, a special interview and, and talk in depth about uh, a particular film. Uh, and that fell through due to comic mishap uh, today through no fault of our own. I will yeah. say for once, no fault of our own. Um, but anyway, we decided, long story short, that why not wait until the end of the festival to uh, talk about all the movies that we've seen? That kind of makes sense, logical sense, right? Yeah, especially since this, this second week of the festival, and my God, is this festival long. It's so fucking long. Uh, the, the second week has been kind of slow, um, but the third week, there's, there's a bunch of stuff. There's, like over the last 10 days, there's, there's a lot of things that we want to see. Yeah, so, they're cramming a lot in there. So it would be better, I think, to just do a, a single recap episode that covers the whole festival, and, and we'll do that in two weeks. Right. Yeah. So, and hopefully, yeah, we'll, we'll, um, we'll have seen a lot more stuff and maybe have, you know... We're, yeah, we're not going to talk at length about fifty movies, but we'll we'll give you the highlights and the lowlights of the of the festival, and uh, maybe go in depth into some of the extracurricular stuff that's been going on with that as well. And uh, and, and maybe even this year, unlike last year, we will have seen some of the same movies, so we can actually talk about them. I think right now, I think so far we've we've seen three of the same movies, so wow. that's that's a good that's a good sign. Um, <laughs> well, give me uh, give me one or two films that uh, are coming up in the next week in the next ten days that you're excited about um, catching, Sean, before the festival ends. Uh, well, I'm I'm most excited for the thing I talked about on the last episode. It was my rep pick, the uh, the Cave of the Spider Women, Cave of the Silken Web double feature, right. that's coming up this week. Uh, but other than that, uh, let's see. Well, there's uh, A Matter of Interpretation and Dearest, which are playing today and I think tomorrow. Um, and I've written about both of those on, on Seattle Screen Scene so far. Uh, I really like both of those movies. I think they're, they're among the, the best of the festival. I'm, I, I'm really excited for the... Uh, the uh, 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 Peter Greenway's new film, uh, Eisenstein in Guanajuato, which is about uh, Sergei Eisenstein in 1932 making uh, Viva Mexico. And before that, on I think the last day of the festival, they're playing. They're actually playing the the reconstruction of the Eisenstein film. So so that one I'm looking forward to a lot too. Watching those yeah. two back to back. Yeah, the the Greenaway one was one that was listed um, as the uh, having a, a DVD screener of it, mm. um, and I was at SIF's headquarters today, uh, raiding their DVD archive for for some stuff to you know catch up on that I might not be able to catch a press screening or you know a, a regular screening of, and that was top of my list. And unfortunately, all the DVD copies of it were currently out, so I, I didn't get to grab that one, but. Uh, one that I did grab that um, I, I I think you're you're excited about too, 
um, is Don't Think I've Forgotten, which is a documentary about uh, Cambodia's uh, rock and roll uh, kind of era during the 50s and 60s that was uh, pretty much obliterated uh, by, obviously... A new regime, a new regime that came into town. Um, But it looks like a really great, interesting documentary with some really cool music. Um, And so I picked that up. And I, I, yeah, I'm mostly going to be playing catch up over the next uh, ten days, trying to see some of the stuff that you've seen that you you gave some uh, solid reviews to, and um, some other oddball stuff, um, like Lies of the Fox Fairy, this kind of Hungarian weird you know, a uh, fairy tale kind of thing and, um, some other stuff like that. So, yeah, I've yeah. been, I've been, I've been staring at lives of the Fox fairy and I can't decide if it looks good or it looks awful. And I don't, I don't know. I haven't gotten up the courage to watch it yet. I started it one morning. Uh, and for some reason I, I only got like literally like two minutes in and then something happened and I had to stop and I was like, I'll come back to that. And so I, I am also in the dark on that, but we'll, We'll see. I mean, I've seen I've seen some really good things, like you said, a matter of interpretation. Uh, one of my favorites of the sh- of the festival so far, um, and then uh, I've also seen some really terrible things too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it, it, would, it wouldn't be SIF if there was not a lot of of uh, disappointing movies. Yeah. So anyway, long story short, uh, this episode, we're not actually going to be talking about any movies, really. Um, we're actually just going to be listening to an interview that was conducted a couple weeks ago uh, by yours truly. Um, there's a film coming out in wide release, uh, I think next week, June 5th, 6th, something like that. Um that's currently embargoed, so I couldn't really talk about it right now if I wanted to, uh, called Love and Mercy. It's a biopic uh, about Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys, and uh, it it stars John Cusack and Paul Dano playing Brian Wilson at different points in his life. Um, and anyway, uh, in town for the premiere of that was Atticus Ross, uh, Oscar-winning composer, along with Trent Reznor, um, is probably most famous for the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, Gone Girl, Social Network soundtracks that, it, that they've done uh, with David Fincher. Uh, but he he did this really interesting, uh, and he'll talk about it here in this interview, but uh, a kind of collage, musical collage of pulling disparate Brian Wilson pieces and outtakes and all this stuff and making this kind of... Uh, new composition out of, out of that stuff and tweaking the sounds and slowing stuff down and muddling it and stuff. And it, it, it's, it really sounds like Atticus Ross producing Brian Wilson, uh, because both of those sensibilities kind of come through in it. Um, and, and I can say this, even though the, the, there's kind of an embargo on, on talking at length about the film, uh, his work on the film is really good. Um, it's, it's the best thing in the movie. (laughs) So good thing, uh, you know, I was, I was happy to talk to him about that. And he was a gracious, gracious guy. You'll notice the sound quality is not super great in this. Um, he's eating pizza at the beginning. It, it was a busy day for him. I'm pretty sure. Um, you should, you should explain also that you start recording in the middle of your conversation about a, a certain band. <laughs> Well, yeah. So those of you who've listened to the show know uh, who my favorite band is, and I happened to be wearing uh, a T-shirt about that band. And so as I came into the conference room, Atticus Ross um, noted that, and we started talking. And I and before I even had a chance to sit down. So so you're picking it up 
uh, in the middle of our conversation uh, as we're talking about the greatest band in the history of the world. So uh, here's Atticus Ross uh, talking about Love and Mercy and the, the Fincher stuff and all that. Uh, hope you like it. And uh, we'll talk to you briefly after this. I mean, I, I, um, I think he's one of the best engineers there is. And he's got a studio up in Pasadena. And if I was to record live drums or something, which I don't do often, but if I did, it would always be with Joe. I'm going to go and do a quartet up at his place next week, actually. Um, but he's Melvin's. He produced a couple of their records. He did. He did the, the major label stuff. And uh, I mean, talk about a drum sound. Yeah, I mean Dale Crover's drums on like Stoner Witch or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean it's just otherworldly, you know. And you know their new stuff. I don't know if you listen to too much of it, but like it's good, but it doesn't have that drum sound to it. And where it's just like that floor tom, just like yeah, yeah. sounds like it's a bottomless pit or something. That was that was what that was their kind of that was what one would think of when you thought of the Melvins, right? You know what I mean? I mean you would think of the songs, but that. Is an indelible part of it. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, don't get me. I, I've I've loved the entire thirty years of their career, and and you know the the, the newer stuff, solid. You know, but they but there's something about the sound of the kit now where it's like I, I just got kind of hooked, addicted to that kind of sound. It's just nuts, uh-huh. you know. Um, and Dale Crover being the best drummer in the history of mankind. <laughs> right. So. Um, I, we've got like 20 minutes. I think you and I could probably solve the age-old question of uh, Pet Sounds or Sgt. Pepper. Right, I, you right, know, right. Do, you have a, do you have an opinion? And, and I don't, actually. You don't? No. I mean, I'm not... And that's not just politics? That's not just... It's you. nothing to do with <laughs> politics. It's just that I don't... I don't... Um, I, I don't... Uh, Look at it as a competition, I suppose. Sure. In in that in that way, like they're both great albums, um, but there are other albums to me. Even though I know those are the most vaulted, there are other albums to me that, you know, I love low. I love low as much as I love sure. Sergeant Pepper. Well, the the correct answer is the White Album. I mean, you know, right. Sergeant Pepper. Come on. I mean, it's it's good, but. Right. I mean, they came out swinging with the White Album. You yeah. Know? Um, I mean that. I mean that just blows my mind. Or Village Green Preservation Society, or something like that. You know. Um, I mean, there's a million. You know, I think that it's. You know, you'd have to establish the credentials that you are making the judgment on. Oh sure, absolutely. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Right. Because, you know, they're all classic records, but when it comes down to, you know, the idea of subjective personal taste, you know, that's what makes things confusing. But I think we can all agree that certainly Pet Sounds and Sgt. Peppers and The White Album and many others are you know, moments in time and history that will live forever. Oh, absolutely. You know? Yeah. And I think that, um, you know, I feel 
in a way, well, right now I feel more connected to Pet Sounds, but that's mainly because I've got all the master tapes. Today. Sure. Well, I was going to ask you about that. So, uh, you know, you, the the soundtrack work that you do is is quote unquote un, a little unconventional compared. Right. To, you know, you don't have a, a huge orchestra. You're not Danny Elfman, you know, right. conducting a giant thing. Um, but this project in particular is is um, even more unique because you you're working with pre-existing tracks of, of, I mean, you had, did you have access to, like, well, the vault? Is there a vault? No, what happened was, you know, the guy I worked with, Brian Lance, um, who has a very small roster of people who I like very much, mm -hmm. and the reason I'm with him is because I trust him, and I trust his taste, mm -hmm. you know, and, um, he said, you know, there's this film about Brian Wilson and, and you know, it's, it's, you've got to read the script, it's going to be great. And I'm just thinking, man, you know, one music bios have almost become a genre and they're a fucking shitty genre. <laughs> they're so, terrible. So that doesn't sound like a good idea. Two, it's Brian Wilson who every hipster in the world has as, you know, the untouchable. So, mm -hmm. you know, what's it going to be? Like, some score and then some incredible song, you know, like... Right. You know, um, and it just didn't seem like... You know, it wasn't something like, I'm a Beach Boys fan. Of course I am. You can't like music and not be a fan. But I'm also not an obsessive um, around them. So... Anyway, I d eventually I did get around to reading the script, and I did think it was really amazing. And then I thought, well, how would I and be able to fit in to a film like this? And after I'd thought about it a bit more, I thought, you know, I knew enough about them to know the mythology of... Uh, you know, that there was supposedly all these recordings that were unreleased and blah, 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 from the 60s and whatever. And so when I met Bill, the director, he didn't know what the music was going to be. He didn't have an idea for the music, um, specifically. And I said, you know, what I think would be cool is if we, you know, if uh, Brian were to give us all the multi-tracks for all this supposed music, and he let me funk around with it and sample it and see what I could come up with in terms of storytelling with the notion of keeping... Because it felt like when I read the script, like Brian should be ever-present and considering also his musical stature. Mm -hmm. You know, it would be nice if... And also to hear, in a sense, some of his stuff broken down or put in a different context or whatever, you know. Um, and... My very original concept was it would be more like the grey album, like it would be indistinguishable, you know, what the actual source was. But that didn't, I did a couple like that, it didn't, it was cool, but it didn't, you could have no idea that the Beach Boys were involved. Sure. Brian was involved. Right. And that, that kind of undermined the point of it. So, anyway going back a couple of paces, I, I say this idea to Bill and, and he responds to it and then we ask Brian and then the next, you know, like literally 
a month later or something, and these hard drives arrive at my house oh, with really? just fucking <laughs> all those records, and right. way, way more, and then hundreds of outtakes where he would have them play, and it wasn't like, you know, because anyway, even on the kind of recorded versions, the technology at the time, you're still talking about a four-track sure. recording. Um, but there would be hundreds of, like, sacred vibrations. I think I've got 98 versions of him, you know, working on whatever it might be, where they just got a stereo mic in the room and, you know, he's working with the players and blah, blah, blah. So what was interesting about those were, um, you know, this idea of him as a kind of spaced out you know, I'm not saying that he's not spaced out today, but I'm saying that in the in those early 60s, you can hear him on the talkback mic. Right. And he's super focused. He's incredibly in command. He knows exactly what he wants. He's not scared. Safe. I mean, he's a very empowered and you know, not at all this what's become the popular sure version of him. Absolutely. Um, so yeah, so then, then it ended up being a reality. Suddenly, you know, I was hired to do it and I had all this fucking, Brian, all of Brian Wilson's multi-tracks. Well, how long did it take you to, like, call through that stuff to, like, you know... We, we never really finished, right. to be honest. There was so much material that we, we kind of honed it down to a certain... I was working with my brother and I've got a system and, uh... Um, we kind of honed it down to within a certain area and and kind of started work um, you know on different kind of tangents in terms of like um, you know it started on with, with a more broad kind of aspect of the kind of thing of maybe, you know, there are a number of tracks which aren't in the film where we were just creating, using pieces that we'd sample or try and manipulate them to play a different sequence against it or whatever. Um, but in this case, the film kind of dictated very much what each piece was going to be and where it would land. And Bill was a director. I loved working with him. He's really a nice guy and I think a real someone who really does have a vision mm -hmm. you know, and he's uncompromising um, and it's interesting because he hasn't directed a movie in like I mean this is the first one in like 20 years and it's it? basically his first one right but you know he's he's proved himself as a man of taste I think. oh absolutely <laughs> you look at that track record of yeah. production credits absolutely and he's not the kind of producer who's sticking his name on as producer I mean he's heavily involved sure. in making his films um, and I think that served him well in coming to this. Like, I, it did not feel like working with someone who, who was a first time. Right, fresh out the gate. Yeah. And, um, and he, unlike other people I've worked with, often, you know, wanted kind of... And I think partly it was to do with how tied to the story everything had to be. Um, like there wasn't much point in just going off on a tangent and writing pieces and sending them to him. Everything we sent was to picture. Mm -hmm. So he was always looking at it 
um, against the picture. But even in the script, you know, that, like the black hole that starts the film. Right. <laughs> That's in the script. But then there's a huge difference between having that as a theoretical idea and actually executing Sure, absolutely. Um, but then, you know, it kind of fell into these different areas of like, you've got those kind of collage ones which are basically built from Beach Boy snippets, mm -hmm. maybe with a progression behind. Then there was like more kind of ones which are R tracks, you know, like score tracks which have um, Brian basically would find bits of Brian's voice, mm -hmm. sample it, maybe put it in something, you know, like a, you know, in a granular kind of synthesizer, you know, you can make it be an endless thing. So if you've just sampled like a small note, mm -hmm. when you play it, it will be however long sure. you want it to be. So we could kind of make melodies using his voice. Um, then there was the sort of sound design kind of things, like the knives and forks coming to life. So that was YouTube, the, that whole... Yeah, yeah. yeah that, that thing was just fantastic. I mean, just the way that it built from... It kind of reminds me of, you know, Dancer in the Dark, where there's that machinery song? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, where it just it starts out totally natural and organic, and then all of a sudden it's just this cacophonous kind of... Yeah, that's, yeah. that's fantastic. Yeah, so there was a couple of moments of those which were very much sound design-based, and... Um, you know, and all those, even though they're quite short, they took a fucking long time to oh, do sure. all of those. Um, and then there were things like the car bonnet, you know, where he's, you know, they were trying to infer that he's imagining um, the um, melody to God only knows. Mm -hmm. um, and that was the thing of having the tapes and then processing the tapes. And there's actually one of the melodies in there, which is, because I couldn't believe it when we were going through them, there's this incredible backing vocal that isn't in the final version of the song. Mm. And we, because they were all grouped together, we couldn't get at it. So that was the one bit that we did re-sing. But it's in there for that moment when he's lying on the bonnet. And then there was, and then there's the bits where it's kind of like, um, uh, an obvious Beach Boys song, but kind of processed, you know, like the bed montage mm -hmm. at the end where the voice, his dad's voice starts. Sure. And then we go to um, In My Room, but it's been so kind of fucked up and mm -hmm. made weird uh, that it felt right with the picture, but I'm not really adding anything to that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's mostly just processing his tracks. Then we cut to something which is... Um, you know, does have a lot of music in it. You know, when he gets hit and we go into the more psychedelic thing mm -hmm. inside his ear, then we come out again into um, Till I Die, which is again then just a process. So it was kind of like, it seemed to, you know, looking back on it, it fell into these different categories, you know, with the odd exception, like, you know, when he goes in and he has his, the dad, Murray arrives with that shitty new band, mm -hmm. kind of Beach Boy copyist right. band. Sun, 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 or whatever. Sun, yeah, yeah, sun, yeah, sun, yeah, sun. yeah. I was trying to remember the name of it this morning, and barely yeah. can remember. <laughs> Basically, what we did with that was we, we, we knew that it was going to be this 
his one of his darkest moments. Mm -hmm. But what was that going to sound like? Sure. So then I just looped the bass line of Sun Sun. Yeah, that was great. That was fantastic. And, and filtered it down. And then it's actually my wife who 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 brings the most sun into my life formed the darkest moment of Brian's. That's her singing. Oh, okay. Like, you know, because, you know, it's like a... He goes, puts them on first, and there's mm -hmm. like a scream, and then it, it turns into this kind of, like, keening, mm -hmm. wailing uh, thing when he puts them back on. And then there's, you know, some other Beach Boys stuff that's looped underneath it with Sun, 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 the vocal comes out. Not all of it you can hear, but the idea that I was trying to get at was that you've got the voices in his head plus the torment of that awful fucking sunset. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so... Do time? How much time we One more minute? I don't know if I have time for that question. This is kind of a longer question. Well, uh, maybe... Uh, so, let's talk about unreleased stuff that you... Like, so when you make a soundtrack for something, like Girl with a Dragon Tattoo, right? right. You've got a, a three-disc... Yeah. Soundtrack that comes out. Like, was there five discs worth of material that you that you worked no, on? No, no, or no. Is that, that just like everything you that did? That was everything that okay. we. That was everything that we did. And what what we would do, you know, and what I do for this as well is if we can get. This has been difficult. I probably even shouldn't be talking about this, but basically. No one will ever hear this. It's, <laughs> it seems to be this has been the hardest soundtrack to put out because it's like involves clearances from mm -hmm. this person and that person and blah, 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 you know, and whatever. But normally what would happen in every other case is we write a load of material and if the, if, because I spend a lot longer than a lot of my peers, you know, like I'd rather do two films and feel really good about them both right. and do eight films and Know, sure. Have lots, loads of money. I mean, I, I would like to have loads of money, but I just, I just, I can't get beyond the fact of wanting them to be really good, uh, or wanting the stuff that we contribute to be good, or as good as we can make it. You know, even if someone else thinks it sucks, at least we can feel this is good as mm -hmm. we get it. Now, during that process, particularly on the Fincher ones, the way that we approach and. Uh, it wasn't so appropriate in Love and Mercy, but on other films I've done, I'll kind of, you know, but particularly the Fincher ones, we'll start writing way ahead of time to the uh -huh. script, so that there's no movie even. Um, and we're writing to the movie in our heads, you know, me and Trent will sit down, we'll talk about it for ages, and then we'll start writing. Yeah. So, we'll write these long pieces, and often... Fincher will take those and cut to them and he'll have ideas of where they should go and it's all very collaborative but at the end of the film we'll go back and in some cases we won't need to touch the tracks but mm -hmm. we're, we're approaching the record with the mindset same as if we did Love and Mercy with, I'm not trying to make a film now and I'm not trying to just give you a print of what the film was I'm trying to recreate that experience and give you an album that will work in an album form, you know, and um, and I think, to my mind, that's a completely different mindset to, you know, making the score to to, to picture, 
You know what I mean? Definitely. Uh, you know, I mean, on social network, we went even more insane and you know, <laughs> spent a month doing the five-one mix, uh, which is like I don't think. That's why you won an Oscar right there. You, it, you, you it's did. not. <laughs> could be. Could well. You put in the extra time. But it, it's it's worth if you have a five-one system. It's worth trying to pick that one up because I mean we probably spent five weeks. It has nothing to do with the film. It's a list of music with us going, trying to do it like an interesting but tasteful five-one version of it. But anyway, all I'm, that long-winded thing is just saying that I think that records and films are two different things. Sure. And I think you should take the time to make a good record that certainly is about the film, you know, but you know, you're not ripping off the listener. Well, absolutely. I mean, there, there are times where I'm, I'm you know, I, I love a movie because it, the score works really well with it, but then if you listen to it separately, it's like, it kind of loses the magic. But I'll tell you, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, I was driving down all along the coast, scary as hell listening to that while I'm driving through the forest. So right. it, it worked. You did a good job. <laughs> well, thanks for your time. Thank you. Yeah. All right, uh, thanks to, uh, to Atticus Ross for that interview, and thanks to you, Mike, for actually talking to another human. Uh, I, Sean, I, Sean is scared to talk to other human beings. <laughs> it's, it's very true. Uh, I actually I, I enjoyed that interview. It makes the soundtrack sound really interesting. Like, I wasn't really all that interested in the movie, but listening to that, I'm like, yeah, maybe I'll watch it. Yeah, well... Or maybe I'll just get the soundtrack. You you might you might just want to get the soundtrack, but there, uh, as I say briefly in the interview, uh, the movie starts with a with a blank screen and maybe like a minute, forty five seconds or a minute of just of of one of his soundscapes that he made, and it's exhilarating. I mean, it really is um, some amazing stuff. So definitely definitely check that out if you if you get a chance. Right on. Uh, so we will, like we said, we will be back in two weeks with a full. SIF recap, and I don't know if we're going to get any other interviews. Looks like uh, we had two that we were hoping to get lined up, and then they both failed, so probably not. But in the meantime, you can you can follow our SIF coverage on seattlescreenscene.com, where we're writing about a whole bunch of stuff. That's right. Uh, and, and you can find out more about the show uh, at the George Sanders show.blogspot.com on Twitter at Geo Sanders Show, and we have an email at the George Sanders Show at gmail.com. I think that does it for this this round. Uh, short and sweet, to the point for once in our lives. <laughs> yeah, as we are in the middle of a f- film festival, we are both exhausted, so we're going to go take a nap now. Yeah. Uh, and and we're and also you know if if you're like the one person out there that's that's pining for more of us, trust me, I think next show is going to break the bank. I think we're going to be talking for a long, long time. So, uh, yeah, if it's anything like the other <laughs> festival recap shows I have done over the last couple of years, it will be very long. Yeah, we're we're we're, we're going to try something interesting though uh, with it, and I and hopefully that works out because I think it'll make it a lot more entertaining because. A lot of these movies uh, are going to be unavailable for people to see for a while. So hopefully we can keep people engaged um, while we blather on about stuff. So anyway. why, why, why start now? <laughs> yeah, we should just stop like we're about to now. So we're going to listen to George. Uh, thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the, that interview and uh, we'll see you next time.
A kiss is just a kiss A sigh is just a sigh The fundamental things apply As time goes by And when two lovers woo They still say I love you On that you can rely No matter what the future brings As time goes by Moonlight and love songs Never out of date Hearts full of passion Jealousy and hate Woman needs man And man must have his mate That no one can deny It's still the same old story A fight for love and glory A case of do or die The world Always welcome lovers as time. 